forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. I'm your host, Jessica Crispin. Public Intellectual is supported by its listeners, not ads for meal kits that violate labor laws and so on. So if you want this podcast to continue into the future, rather than um, us asking for corporate money, we ask for yours. We know it's unfair, but that's just the way that these things work now. Go to patreon.com slash public intellectual and we will try to thank you and show our gratitude for your support with bonus materials, exclusive writings, book recommendations, the usual things. It's patreon.com slash public intellectual. So today we are going to do something a little different in that I don't have a guest today. I have been sort of circling these thoughts for several podcast episodes and in my own sort of daily ruminations as I walk around making tea in my apartment. And I thought, well, let's just say them out loud in some sort of way. And then maybe I can stop thinking them and maybe think about something else, which would be great because I have a book that's due, overdue. But we're not thinking about that right now. We're thinking about these other things. So I'm just going to say them. And, you know, feel free to skip this episode. Probably, I'm not going to acknowledge that this episode even exists after this moment. Um, It's really just, here's, this episode is a dumpster. And I'm throwing these things into the dumpster. And uh, maybe setting them on fire. Who knows? But we don't have to discuss it after this. (laughs) ever again. That's fine. Basically, what I want to talk about and stop thinking about is the role of the writer. What are the obligations of the writer? I was thinking about this because there was, well, I've been thinking about this, but sort of came to a head when Dale Peck wrote an opinion piece, I guess you would call it, in the New Republic. It was about Mayor Pete. He called him Mary Pete. I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, nobody seemed to understand the term Mary um, in gay culture, but uh, throughout the outrage. But I thought I thought it was a little funny. Anyway, the piece went up and then there was uh, manufactured outrage as as we have now. But there were also, you know, official opinion response pieces written in multiple publications. People who are paid um, regularly to have opinions and thoughts about things that happen in our culture. Writing culture, film culture, you know, whatever, the culture. And for the most part, nobody seemed to know anything about gay culture. Nobody seemed to know anything about Dale Peck or uh, literary culture and um, 
sort of the environment in which he came out of, or they maybe knew one of these three things. And that was it. There was no good commentary that was paid for um, within the, you know, media class. There were a couple good things on Twitter. Some of them were funny. Some of them were just true. But it got me thinking because uh, there's no reason why you should know this, but I had a thing, uh, an interaction of hostility with uh, Dale Peck um, because he was a sort of dominant literary critic when I when the blog Book Slut was just coming up. And... Um, uh, yeah, we didn't like each other. And some words were exchanged in public. Uh, no, none of them were, were great, uh, but it was funny. You know, um, when somebody that you think is a representation of everything that's sort of like reprehensible about New York uh, critical culture, um, the sort of, you know, disingenuous pose, the tougher than thou macho bullshit, the... Um, the the use of a an, an insincere shocking statement um just to sort of you know prove a point i i didn't really like that um and so i said some things and then he said some things back and then and then it was over and then we forgot about it except for now uh, dale peck has reemerged as this figure and i thought you know as much as i dislike dale peck he deserves as we all deserve to be understood within his context of who he is, the work he has done, um, and the life he has led. And for a bunch of, you know, kids, essentially, um, to come in and uh, not even feel like they have to Google some shit before they just sort of make this knee-jerk pronouncement of this is homophobia, which can somebody who's much more sort of uh, queer and has been much more of an activist than another gay man. Can they really be, is that, that's not homophobia. Like it's so lazy. It's so lazy. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Um, It just is very revealing of the lack of concern or care or thought within professional writing. And by professional writing, I don't mean writing that you get paid for. I mean this industry of um, the professional writer, of the university system, MFA culture that spits out you know, the, the personal essays that grow into the, and there's a path, right? There, there is a legitimized path of professionalization of writing. And I know I complain about this all the time. And I also know that it's incredibly unfashionable because every time I talk about it, um, and I talk about how boring the writing is that comes out of that, uh, people get mad at me and uh, I lose followers. I lose money. But uh, here, so that's why we're going to pretend like this episode doesn't exist. It's just a secret between you and me. It's like a Mission Impossible thing. His, he's, you know, it comes delivered on these sunglasses and then you throw them off the cliff and they explode. And you don't even have to worry about litter. So um, 
it was fairly reminiscent of two other recent controversies in the literary professional writing. I'm not going to call it literary sphere because there's nothing literary about it, but the professional writing spheres. Uh, one was Jacob Silverman's piece also in the New Republic. Interest. There's not. There's nothing of interest there. Sorry, I tried to make it into something. Uh, Jacob Silverman's piece about the exploitation of the precarious freelance writer worker and how the dominant response to the piece was not one of sympathy and it also was not one of solidarity. It was one of shaming and bragging. So the reason why your career is in the shitter is because you just aren't good at pitching. I'm great at pitching. My career is great. I am doing so well. Let me link you to the last 28 pieces that I wrote in the last five weeks. Uh, here they are right now. So that sort of psycho self-promotion stuff um, and also the wild belief in a meritocracy, which is insanity. Uh, people, I don't know why, but people seem to believe that the writing world is a meritocracy and that if you're just good at it, you will somehow rise to the top and be able to make a living at what you're doing rather than um, you are being exploited for your labor uh, because, because you are. Anyway, and then there was a controversy about Taffy Ackner, which we talked about in a previous episode, um, which is that, you know, she said, uh, I don't get out of bed for less than uh, $4 a word. But she writes, you know, celebrity profiles. And also nobody makes $4 a word. And it's just the revelation of like, um, you know, this is what our culture rewards. This is what it values. Um, it values um, the celebrity profile. And you can talk about how well-written they are as long as you want to. But in reality, um, they are, I think, kind of damaging. Damaging is not the right word because that gives them too much power. But it sort of extends these harmful narratives um, or at least doesn't challenge them in any way. Which is that, you know, um, celebrity culture is, is somehow interesting that that we live in a meritocracy that, um, uh, you know, that the image portrayed through these profiles and through mass media is an accurate representation of what that life is like, um, of what the life of wild success is like. And obviously, there's a lot of um, uh, gross, disgusting shit. I don't know why we have to keep learning this lesson with Jeffrey Epstein and with Weinstein. But every time it's like, oh, well, we got the bad guy. So everything else must be fine. Um, and so we don't talk about the real stuff. And for some reason, now we're only writing about ourselves. Like every celebrity profile is really just about the profiler now and how well they're connecting with uh, the person that they're profiling or how um, the person that they're profiling is such a more perfected version of, you know, of their who they are, which is, you know, the human feet made of clay, blah, blah, blah person. I think it's gross. I don't think that we should 
uh, be reading this shit. The Madonna profile was so weird. The New York Times Magazine Madonna profile was very weird. Like the woman, I don't remember who wrote it because I didn't take notes because I wasn't going to talk about it. But the woman who wrote it talking about how, you know, I was there for Madonna uh, during the dark period when uh, nobody else was supporting her. It's like you weren't there for her. You, you know, maybe talked on Twitter saying nice things. But that's not there for anyway. It's a very sort of weird um, dynamic between the person doing the projecting and uh, the person projected upon and the mass media that lives in between those two things. Right. It's very interesting. Nobody, nobody exam. Anyway, um, so. That's my long winded introduction to what I want to talk about, which is the ethical responsibility of the writer. And this is like a little bit of a manifesto. And I apologize. This is as much directed to me as to anybody else. I just want I just want that to be clear. I'm not saying I'm above any of this shit. I am deeply insecure and uh, uh, broke right now and uh, scared and but also deeply bored. Um, and with but with both what I'm writing and with what I'm reading and mostly when I look at professional writing culture what I'm seeing is this such a limited conversation there are like four or five markers every year that are that dominate the conversation and every conversation happens around them so this year you know it was a Sally Rooney book and then the cat person lady um and everybody just had a slight variation on the same things said about each of these markers. Um, and you have to get it in fast because you can't be the third person who pitched that piece. Um, it's not going to get accepted. So you have to go with your first knee-jerk reaction to the, to the cultural object of choice. And then that's all anybody's talking about. And it's... Um, it's uh, it's boring. It's fucking boring. And one of the reasons why I, you know, one of the reasons, there were a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I closed down Bookslot was because I had like this, I had a, like a nervous breakdown about I am essentially a bullet point in somebody's marketing campaign, right? Like somebody is telling somebody else at a, at a, marketing meeting or I'm sure we can get something on Bookslet and that made me want to die because I thought all I'm going to do with my life is help people choose buy this book with a blue cover except instead of this other book with a blue cover like I just I it made me um lose faith and so I had I had to I had to move away from the country I understand how tedious I am I just want I'm just interjecting with that I understand that I'm tedious, boring human being uh, right now and also all of the time. So just so that's covered. Um, so the manifesto is something I'm trying to deal with of like, these are my ethical responsibilities. And I think all of our ethical responsibilities, if we're going to claim the uh, title of writer, then in, and if we're going to pretend like that means something, then we have a responsibility. And by the way, I'm not necessarily convinced that it means something anymore, but I'm going forward because I have no other skills. I make some really good enchiladas 
it's not really it's not really a plan for the future uh, to make enchiladas from now on, but it's a backup. So this is what I've come up with. Number one, we will not mistake the other for ourselves, which I simply mean we are not going to project project all of our shit onto anybody who comes along as a writer. That means when we're reading a book, it is not a mirror. It is not... um, a, a reflection of ourselves. It's not telling us that we're good and special. We shouldn't be looking for books or movies or music or whatever to tell us that we're good and special. And then when we write these things ourselves, we should not just be telling the world how good and special we are. There has to be an actual encounter with the other at some point, And we resist it because it doesn't feel great. It's unsettling. Um, but... Um, that's our job and our responsibility when we're writing about other people. We're not filling in the gaps there with our shit. When we're writing uh, fiction, we're not just writing a uh, hallucinatory, um, idealized version of ourselves. We're doing the work of trying to understand other people's consciousness so that we can um, expand our ideas about what good is, what normal is, what life is, um, because that shit is important. So that's number one. Number two, we will not mistake the industry for ourselves. And this goes back to the whole, I'm so good at pitching thing, how you're doing financially, how you're doing within an industry, the hustle you give, the labor you self-exploit is not who you are as a person. And I'm not going to make some fucking uh, thing about a work-life balance because I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever anybody talks about work-life balance, life is somehow just another job for you to have, like another sort of stacking up of accomplishments. And those accomplishments include, you know, uh, the perfect uh, spouse, the perfect children, uh, the Instagram holidays, and so on. Like somehow that becomes work too. So that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you are a person outside of your um who you are as a worker. This is a hard lesson. I'm constantly having to relearn it. I'm not very good at it right now, but it's true. And when we prioritize moving ourselves up in the industry rather than moving ourselves along in consciousness, I sound like Marianne Williamson. I'm very sorry. I swear, I promise that I don't think that if you think the right, wrong things, you get cancer. I, but um, when we think about, if we're, if we're gauging how we're doing based on these markers of uh, publishing contracts and uh, word uh, pay, whatever, pay scale based on the whatever that is, um, then we are doing ourselves a disservice and it happens all of the time. You see it all of the time and we should stop doing that because it's not healthy and it just puts a lot of crap into 
the professional writing sphere because what sells is not necessarily what is good, which brings us uh, to number three. You should write for free. Now, what I mean by that is not you should write for the Huffington Post for free. And it's not you should write for babe.net for free or they went under. But um, that for-profit publications asking you to write for free is essentially the same as asking you to write for money. It's exploitation. So I don't mean uh, you should exploit yourself and I don't mean that you should help make other people money based on, you know, your personal trauma that uh, you've constructed into an essay and are now shopping around and hoping this will get you exposure and lead to better work. Uh, That's not it. What I mean by write for free is that writing outside of these constraints about what is considered sellable, uh, what is considered um, a good proposal for a book or, you know, writing book proposals with your agent or, um, you know, crafting your ideas to match what everybody already thinks so that they can just sort of nod and and be like, God, I'm so smart because I already thought this thing. And, you know, your editor helping you get there, that's that's garbage. And there has to be a space within your career, even if you're wildly famous, even if you have, um, you know, a huge following already, even if you have a massive brain, you have to separate some of that shit out and not take everything to the market. Um, You can burn it if you want. I think you should publish it. I think those ideas are more interesting. You know, Um, I was reading the Mark Fisher thing. Um, The stuff that he did for free for his blog was so much better um, than the stuff he got hired to do. Also, I know that writers have to eat. I understand that. And that uh, everyone should get adequate payment for their work. But I think that we should also understand that we have a responsibility to make work worth publishing. And that um, just going by this idea that, well, a writer has to eat. um, So you should just do writing that will get you paid. Doesn't create good thought. It doesn't create good writing. It doesn't create art. It's just, it's a commodity. And the commodity of the self is, is a horrifying experience. Uh, or it should be. It should be self-alienating. Um, and uh, I worry about you if you, if, you don't, if you don't find that to be true. So that's the right for free. We only have two more. I'm sorry. Number four. There is nothing inherently noble, interesting, or elevated about the writing profession. There's this idea that if you are a writer, that makes you, it doesn't make you interesting if you're a writer, if you have, if you're Ezra Klein, I guess that's, I don't know why that's the name that came into my head, but you know, um, there's nothing inherently interesting about you if you're a writer, if you're Emily Gould, I'm sorry that I'm naming names. Um, but there are people who are just so desperate 
to uh, shore up their fractured sense of self with this profession, with this idea of themselves as a writer, with this fantasy of what that even means, that they don't... I'll give you an example. So lately, well, since Trump's election, everybody wants to pretend like journalism is a noble pursuit. It's not a noble pursuit. There's no, you know, you can be noble in your job, but that's a choice. That's an active choice. And it's a choice that you have to make every day. But then there are the people who just camp out in front of courthouses and in front on people's lawns after they've experienced a tragedy, um, just trying to exploit a moment, just trying to uh, turn a person into a scandal, just trying to be disingenuous for uh, to get some attention. There's nothing noble about the profession. There is nobility in your pursuit, in your practice. And that's it. I know I'm very sincere. Nobody likes sincere anymore, but we're doing it anyway. Number five. And I feel like this is incredibly important um, and also very, nobody want, nobody's going to like it. If you are a writer, you are not, um, well, we already covered, it doesn't naturally make you special. It doesn't automatically make you interesting, but it does make you a caretaker for ideas, for history, and for other people's stories. And that's, it's a responsibility and one that should be taken seriously. This shit did not originate with you. There are no basically original ideas or no original stories. And I know that's depressing to some people, but it should be exciting because you get to hold this space and you get the gift from everybody who came before you and you get to pass it along. And that, I think, is much more special than this idea that you invented the sonnet or whatever the fuck that you reinvented the sonnet. That you created this very important work that's going to change everybody's lives. And it, and it came out of nowhere. Nothing comes out of nowhere. You don't have to believe in, you know, divinity of any kind to know that um, people have been doing this shit for a really long time and they're passing it along to you and it is your job and your responsibility to pass it along to who comes after, to not fuck it up too much and also to have some humility in the process of I'm just doing my part. Um, and in that, that there is freedom. But with that comes the responsibility of always learning, always improving, never uh, believing that you are an isolated ego monster, just doing the work, not labor, work. Anyway, that's my manifesto. I'm very sorry. Um, thank you. I don't know why you've listened to this. If if you're at the end of this, but uh, I do want to say thank you for everyone who supports this podcast because it's stupid. Um, and I like doing it and I appreciate that you're here. Um, I don't think you're stupid for listening to it. Uh, I just find it a little surprising. Um, but um, I am eternally grateful that I get to take up a little bit of space and um, have these conversations and um that people listen to him. And so I thank you. And I promise 
next week. Um, we'll be back to the old format. Horrifyingly talking about Steven Pinker. But thank you and good night. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.